Resurface is a podcast presented to you by me, your host, Emily Utrup. In each episode, I'll talk to athletes and industry leaders who have faced adversity. And through shared vulnerability, I'll explore the mental and emotional challenges they have faced and discover the strategies they have used to not only bounce back, but to come back stronger than ever. I want to motivate and inspire you to show your vulnerability, acknowledge your fears, and to follow your dreams. episode of Resurface. Today I am joined in the studio by Laura Crane. Hey Laura. Hi dude. <laughs> I mean when you say studio, I've got sea views, we've surfed. Life's good. I'm stoked. Life, Life is good. good. Yeah it's so good to see you because I think it's been like almost like a year since we really been seeing each other and now you've been been here for a few days and we've just been surfing and hanging out like good old days it's so yeah, nice yeah it's been so good i feel like spring literally just arrived i know it's so nice we're literally sitting here and we're about to go on a picnic on the beach oh after. my god <laughs> we're so blessed yes <laughs> so good and on this podcast laura like to people who don't know you i um you used to be a professional surfer and then you went away from surfing for for a little bit and now it seems like you're just finding your love of surfing again we were surfing last night and it was just like it was just so much fun and and i've just been seeing all the things that you've been doing lately all the adventures you've been on and and it's so good to see that you're just like finding that love again um so yeah so how is that honestly it's been crazy because i started surfing when i was eight and i think that's so funny that you've seen it from the outside that I've totally just been stoked on being in the water again because I felt it too. <laughs> um, yeah, I started when I was eight, so it's kind of literally all I did. I got sponsored by Billabong when I was like 12. So yeah, to kind of have your dreams all handed to you at like 12 years old and to go off and travel the world from pretty much 15 it quickly went from being my passion to my job and kind of like the only thing I felt I could do. So that was that was tough. I mean, I loved it for what it was for a really long time. So I'm super grateful for the whole journey for sure. But yeah, there was definitely a time after I finished competitive surfing where I just hated it. Like I just didn't even want to be in the water. I felt like I was always doing it for somebody else or whatever so yeah I definitely um I definitely fell out of love and then yeah I was away for a little bit I worked in kind of some tv stuff which was great um but also just so not me and yeah here I am back in Portugal like the place that I just love the most and feel most myself and just surfing again and I guess I totally just got back into it because I saw my little brother get into it and just seeing him be stoked even if he didn't really get a wave the whole session just to be out there and I kind of was watching him like that's what I lost mm. that's the feeling and then that's the passion and that's what I lost and um, yeah so just kind of getting back in the water with him doing the cold water thing at home which has been sick because it really forces you to have to enjoy it for what it is and kind of park all those negative comments about the cold and yeah it's just funny because I was even here and I am totally back in the into the surf bug 
Um, but I was saying literally yesterday how I surfed and just because there was someone filming on the beach, I kind of clicked into that old mm. like mentality of like, oh, I've got to get a clip or like got to finish this video, or whatever. And I like checked myself and I was like, dude, we've got no stickers on the board. We're doing this for us. Yeah. Um, and that was really cool, actually, just to be able to kind of rein it back in and just yeah. enjoy it for what it was. And then I got two bombs, which is sick. Yeah, I enjoy seeing you as well, just uh, falling in love with it all over again, because yeah. I think last when you lived here the last time, we never surfed so much together. Yeah. Like, um, I was pretty down, dude. Yeah. We when I look back, I was like not in a good place at all. I think it was just that transition period that people talk about so much when you leave a sport. But I just think surfers yeah you're an athlete but you leave the sport and then it's kind of like you lose your identity a little bit i think so that's mm -hmm. like a real fight um i think every athlete has that to some extent but i definitely see surfers really struggle with that like leaving the competitive side and kind of still being a surfer and that that doesn't mean yeah. that you know just because you don't have stickers on your board that you don't love it as much and that you're not as invested no um but yeah it's all a learning curve yeah <laughs> and and if we can just like take it back and that's just to go over like a little bit of your story like how did you get into surfing and, and how did you end up being a professional surfer surfing for billabong and other big brands um honestly i grew up in the southwest in the uk and my dad surfed he actually taught me to surf and i loved it from like the first moment i used to do pretty much every sport under the sun i think i'd tried like every extreme sport pretty much by the time i was like 10. Um, but surfing was just the one like I tried it and I kind of just left everything else and that was what I really wanted to do and I hated school so it was a pretty good way of getting out of school as well um, but yeah that was it honestly I, I started when I was eight and then I did some kind of local competitions and did pretty good in those and then did the nationals and I won the nationals when I was like 12 and literally got sponsored by Billabong on the beach. It was like that blue crush moment when Amory comes out of pipe and Billabong are there like waiting on the beach and I like hand her the contract. So when it happened in real life, I was like, this is crazy. Like, <laughs> this is insane. Because I'd watched that film so many times. Okay, I wasn't surfing pipe. I was surfing like windy, nuky, but, but still. still. <laughs> it was a big moment. Oh. I can imagine. Um, but yeah, and then that was it. Like, I pretty much just started traveling with them. I did shot photos for their kids' kind of ranges. And then I, yeah, from 15 pretty much traveled all year round until I was like 21. Competing a lot at the start, that was like all I wanted to do. I just wanted to like be the best and like be, you know, like in comp mode. And I think the more women surfing evolved and they saw that actually it was making money um i think we definitely got pushed into a more kind of sexy direction just because they were seeing that like girls in bikini surfing was getting likes and it was selling stuff yeah. so um yeah i guess when you hand a teenager their dream on a plate you're kind of going to do whatever they tell you to and um yeah, that was when I think it's all started to change a little bit for me because I, I thought that I maybe wasn't really being valued as an athlete and maybe just being valued as a girl in a bikini. And I don't think I knew how damaging that was in the moment. Of course, I was a teenager. I had no idea. I was just stoked. Whatever they said you would do pretty much. Um, 
but definitely now when I look back like that was a that was a big shift in me not caring about surfing in the same way I used to um and definitely the passion to compete totally just went because I was like well they're not even seeing this side of me anyway um, which is kind of sad when I look back that I put so much value in what they thought and stuff but hey we're here now and we're yeah. stoked cause but but how, what did that you do to you and your the image of yourself as such, such a young girl because I remember being a teenager you know I just wanted to be part of the boys mm-hmm. you know I know you also grew up with a brother like I did so how, what did that do to you in such a young age because I guess you probably I think you told me that you also just wanted you wanted to surf in shorts and for sure it just I think I ended up putting a lot of my value as a person in my appearance because all of a sudden they didn't really care about how we were doing in competitions whether we were winning or losing they didn't really care they just wanted to make sure we were on the next photo shoot looking however we were looking um that's what it felt like but I can't say that's actually how it was but that's what it felt like Mm -hmm. and I think yeah I just put so much of my value in what I looked like and that obviously then led to eating disorders which basically almost killed me so I guess that's one of the biggest impacts it had was just yeah totally putting everything in in how I looked I thought if I put weight on then everything was gonna disappear and all these opportunities I was having were good only there because I looked how I did or whatever and and that's hard dude especially when you're like 15 16 and your body's changing and oh, you're trying to just stay how you looked when you were like 12 because that's what you thought they sponsored and that's what they wanted like it was just such a trip so I think yeah it definitely it, it had a, a big impact in in the sense of how I perceived myself I think and um what yeah what I had to offer the world I thought it was kind of just bikini pics which, yeah. is, which sucks but do you having an eating disorder when did that start that started when I was 16 so kind of right in the middle of all that yeah just Instagram came and we were then not just comparing to like other girls you were around you're comparing to like the whole world yeah <laughs> and that was really really heavy but also again they told us to download this new app and we're like yeah sweet sounds good I got Facebook like whatever little did we know it was gonna like take over the whole world but um yeah I mean it's brought me incredible opportunities as well but definitely that time was really hard because there was a lot of changes going on in my life and I was like going through like puberty and like getting first period and all these kind of things you're not even like trying to think about but have to think about and yeah that's when the eating disorder like really really started I went on um, a run and just came back and had this like feeling of wanting to kind of not have the food in me that I had before I guess Mm. and that was the start of it I thought okay I'll just you know be sick maybe for like a couple of weeks to lose some weight and I don't think that's really how an addiction Mm. or or an eating disorder really goes because before I knew it I was like three years in and totally engulfed by this eating disorder but Mm. yeah was there any at all so when did your parents find out and what happened then so I think it wasn't until I was yeah well it was towards the back end of being 16 my dad heard me being sick and that was when I was like Shh, okay this is actually real because a somebody else knows about it now it's also my dad so he's going to try and stop it um, and that was I think the moment where I knew that I definitely had a problem because I was really angry that they were trying to stop me doing it Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah that was like 
that was pretty tough seeing my dad just upset about it and not understanding why and I didn't even know why you know I just had this thing that felt like I don't know it was kind of because I was traveling so much already it was this constant I think now when I'm I look back at it with a bit of an older brain um, it was definitely a constant in my life so when you're like traveling to a bunch of different countries all the time and you're kind of young I think it's it kind of tells you it's your your friend and mm-hmm. it's always there and if everything feels kind of all over the place and super transient and whatever it's always this thing that you have that can just it's almost like a routine you know like a sort of ritual it's like mind. an addiction right definitely yeah. dude bulimia or any eating disorder is a full addiction like you have no control people just think that you know put glasses on and see that you're not fat or something which someone said to me once before and I almost hit the f- anyway <laughs> but it, it's, it's a full mental thing and um, I also definitely thought that it was just a quick fix for losing some weight when I first started doing it so I, I don't get too pissed with those people but um, it definitely isn't and uh, it, it definitely ran my life for way too long. I definitely ran like in yeah. this time period me and my parents are super super close at our whole family and I definitely just wanted to be as far away from them as possible because mm. That was it for me. It was if the people closest to me know I have this thing, then I'm not just hurting me, I'm hurting them too. Yeah. And that was way too hard for me to do. So I then moved from here in Osara. I then moved to Bali for like three years when I was 18. And it just got worse and worse and worse. The yeah. further I ran from them, the worse it got because I was totally like alone. Nobody else knew I had it going on. You think you're in control, but really this thing is totally driving your whole life from where you're going to eat dinner, from how are you going to go to the toilet after like eating with friends, and you just become like totally engulfed in it so quickly. Yeah. And um, yeah, I had it until I was, until the first time I actually remember wanting to get rid of it was probably the second t- time we went back into lockdown. And I probably spent like a week just literally being sick like eight times a day. And that was all I did for the whole week. And So you actually had it far into your 20s. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I still would say like I'm in recovery now. Okay, sure. wow. Definitely. Because I had no idea like when we yeah, met yeah, yeah. that you were still... Uh... Well, that's kind of the plan. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um... Um. No, but yeah. yeah, because I know that you're already open. You already opened up about it before that, so mm-hmm. I actually thought, oh, okay, so she's recovered, and this is yeah. Like well, that was kind of. Worry. It sounds really like strange, and I'm crazy open with this stuff, so I don't care because I know how it goes. But there's definitely a time in my life where I knew people knew I'd had an eating disorder but I didn't want people to know I still had it so by me saying oh yeah I recovered from this I had an eating disorder that I recovered from or whatever it was me kind of effectively I lied to myself and actually started to believe I genuinely didn't have it anymore because I dude I was already speaking on certain topics and stuff to other people being like yeah I've like fixed my eating disorder and you're in full denial and I think this is a thing that people look at eating disorders in a way that they don't see it as an addiction, but it totally takes everything over, like, yeah. to this to the fact of you even believe that it isn't an issue, and yeah. it's so sad, but, yeah, no, when I lived here, I was, de- I'd always, I had the my eating disorder the whole time, and, yeah, I think it was just such a, the thing is, when you start surfing, or you start to, you know, do your career at the age that I did, everything is uncertain, 
Yeah. Because you're not following a normal path that normal people do, whether it's, you know, do college, go to university, get a job. For me, in my eyes, that was a way harder route than what I did because I was doing something that I knew I already loved. But actually, I don't know if, you know, when you're that young at 12, you don't really know what your values are, what your morals are, Mm. what's right and what's wrong. And we definitely got pushed and pulled in directions that I know aren't right. But that's, you know, that was part of growing up for me. And I actually have no regrets over any of the things I've had to go through, but... The turning point for sure of the recovery was I had sepsis mm-hmm. about three years ago and I almost died like super close and they even came into the room and said to me, okay, we're at a point now where the infection in your blood is so high that you're probably going to go into a coma and at this point we're going to have to know from you whether you would prefer that we keep the healthy blood like around the organs which then means that you know your limbs will effectively have to be amputated or we just keep you like whole yeah and and you just fight it like that and I literally my mom was in the room and I literally said if you do that to me I'm dead anyway without my limbs I can't do anything I love and that was I thought when I got better from that moment, I thought, okay, how am I ever going to hurt myself again? And I wasn't sick for the longest period since I'd had it. It was probably like three months because I was like, wow, I'm so grateful just to be alive yeah. and to be able okay. to walk and to be able to go into the water if I want to and all these little things. But then like the eating disorder slowly creeped back in and we went into lockdown and that was it again. Like it just went crazy mm. because I had so much time at home and, um, yeah, I watched a documentary, weirdly, about a cricket player who'd had bulimia. And my dad sent it to me and he actually said, maybe we should, like, contact her. Mm-hmm. Which was the first time in a long time that, A, my dad had brought it up to me. Okay. Um, so he still knew it was Yeah, I think they always knew. Yeah. I don't think you can really hide anything no. from your parents like No, that. you can't. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it was... I got really emotional. I watched it. I got really upset because he was, like, 40 mm. and just kind of he was I saw that he actually didn't really want to get rid of it and that really scared me because I was like I don't want to live with this the rest of my life but I think for me it was always a fear that if I tried to get help and I couldn't get rid of it then I knew I was going to have to live with it forever and that fear of trying was so much greater than the fear than you know the benefits it would have had to get better but yeah that was it I called the lady and she yeah fixed me it's like insane I honestly never ever thought that I could sit here and say that I don't have to think about that and it doesn't run my life anymore like there's so many little places even here that I go that have like triggers for it and I just like look at it now and think damn that's so cool that I managed to just give myself that time you know that there's such a big shift in I think when you start recovery with anything or just even being more aware of like where you're at with life Mm -hmm. to just know that you're worth that energy you know because we're so easy to put the energy into other people and I was trying to always fix other people and their problems just to not have to deal with mine and yeah it was sick to be able to actually apply that to me I think Mm -hmm. and have you now made peace with it have you made peace with your body like all this I guess comes with the recovery yeah for sure I mean I'd be a total liar to say I don't have days when I don't love things about my body or whatever but I am just so much more grateful for little things so 
today even when I got hammered this morning in Rupeda, I was like, you know what, that's so cool that actually like I have the ability now to like force through that set. Whereas before I would have had like way more self-doubt and probably been like, nah, yeah. like I don't know if I really deserve to like make it out, you know, it was mm-hmm. so weird. I was always at like a constant battle with my head. So yeah, just to know that, yeah, I don't beat myself up for maybe like having a hamburger, mm. you know, those yeah. little things and just doing, you know, eating because you deserve to be fueled to do the things that you enjoy. And again, I think it's coming like back to surfing that taught me that if I don't look after myself, I can't do the things that I love the most. So I, yeah, I try not to focus too much on how my body looks mm-hmm. or those things because no one ever cares as much as you do. No, it's true. <laughs> yeah. And that also brings me to, because I know the last two years you put a lot of focus on mental health. I know you've been speaking up about it. Um, you've been doing a lot of content about it. Is that also because of your own recovery and maybe you deciding to go into therapy or something that you also realize how important that is? Yeah, for sure. I had such an eye-opening <clears throat> experience when I started therapy and just putting a bit of trust in another person I think is huge because you don't deal with it on your own and also we've not studied psychology to know why I had the eating disorder and for me it was having somebody that could a validate what I had been through or to have someone validate my life experiences and to say hey dude you've been through a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's okay to have this hang up on an eating disorder but you can fix it because you've already been through a lot Mm -hmm. and that for me was a huge turning point because I was like wait I'm I'm a beast I've like hustled through so many different things in my short life at 20 25 I think I was when I first started getting therapy I was like I can I'm not gonna let an eating disorder win you know beat me and that was like a real lightning bolt moment where I was like okay I'm competitive and I hate to lose anything it's on Mm -hmm. like it's on and I'm gonna I'm going to win. This is the last battle in my life that really I have to win. Um, I'm sure there'll be a bunch more, but that, that was, that was it for me. Once I was against it and we weren't one thing, it was the eating disorder and me, Mm -hmm. that was like a big shift. And yeah, she helped me massively with that. And I thought it's only been a sentence, one sentence that she said to me and she's effectively saved my life. If I can just say one sentence to one person or I always go back to like 15 year old Laura and like wanting to do her proud or just to see for her to be able to see somebody that she can align with because I always remember being that age and just seeing either super skinny girls or like really curvy like Mm -hmm. you know sexy bodies and I was like pretty ripped and athletic and there wasn't much in between that you know we didn't Mm. have much representation for the like strong girl So I think that was always my thing now is I want to represent women in, yeah, a feminine way, but also you don't really see me wearing like dresses and heels. I tried for a little bit, don't get me wrong, when I came out of that TV show and I just felt so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and now I just don't do it because I just hate it. It's terrible for me. (laughs) And I I just want 15-year-old Laura to be able to like look and be like, oh, she doesn't do it and it's cool. I don't have to conform. I can just be what I want to be yeah and that for me is why I share my story honestly and yeah definitely I think it helps me be accountable and to keep on my own shit yeah honestly because if I don't check in sometimes with social media or my followers then sometimes I think 
it is easy to to just let it like float away and stuff so I, I definitely we work with each other which is a really nice relationship I guess yeah and uh, I guess as you say as well that you can inspire a lot of other young girls out there hopefully who maybe struggle with some of the something similar that mm-hmm. you were but now they actually have a role model that they can look up to and be like okay it's actually it's okay yeah. to have wider shoulder because I'm a swimmer I'm a surfer you know sure. and luckily yeah. I think that the world we're living now have a bigger representation of all that but but I still think there's a long way to go and uh, we still get insecure about things and especially when we're younger for sure yeah yeah it's a hard age <laughs> yeah it is isn't it yeah. um no that's that's a very interesting story and also some things that even though we've known each other and yeah you've been living in London and and France and so on but there's still some things there like I didn't even know so thank you so much for sharing mm-hmm. um And I think that also brings me to the next question, which is because having all that, did you connect that to to surfing and to the brands? And was that why you kind of lost the passion? Because I, I think you lost surfing a little bit and now it's like really coming back mm-hmm. in and you're finding the joy in it again. For sure. I don't think any surfer goes through a point in their career where they don't resent the brands they work with or just resent surfing in some level whether it's competitive surfing or whatever but for me it was it was everything i really just i hated that they had so much control over what we did and not being able to speak up mm-hmm. you know we were young so you just say yeah and there's an element that i think that takes your voice away a little bit when you're you know young and haven't got much voice and then I got to 18 and that was the moment where I just didn't really want to do it anymore. Mm. But I just didn't really want to do anything anymore. I was actually when I look back super depressed. Oh, yeah, wow. And um that was a really hard time in my life because all I had channeled myself to do since I was 11 was to be a surfer. And at 12, you know, I thought I was going to have to like maybe hustle and work for like five years before I got like a big sponsor and that's, you know, that's what you work towards, isn't yeah. it? And I just it it almost came so quickly that I felt I had to be so grateful for it and I you know that I had this feeling of like wow they've given me this opportunity and whatever so I just was so uh, like happy with the fact I was just getting to live that dream for you know the first five years and whatever and then I guess it shifts it because it's your passion and then that shift is literally overnight and you're like wow this is actually a job Yeah, and I'm surfing tomorrow at 6 a.m. because somebody else wants me to, mm-hmm. and that was pretty horrible because I knew in that moment that I totally lost that feeling of yeah. when you get your first wave and you're just out there because <clears throat> every time you're out there you're thinking in a heat strategy or you're thinking about getting photos or you're thinking about like oh god I wish I didn't have to wear this bikini because it's so awkward it's always falling off and I but I have to wear it because we're getting photos or whatever it was Mm. there was always something that like stopped me being able to allow what I was actually doing and I think that was also me fighting my own head as well Mm -hmm. so yeah I think it was at 18 that I really just totally fell out of love with it but mm. just kept going and going and going because I had no qualifications it was the only thing I really knew how to do so I just kept going to the bitter bitter end until I moved to Bali and that was probably the time in my life where I was the most ill with my eating disorder I just totally like went inside myself and 
kind of locked away and just got super ill. And I think my parents just could, well, they could see how skinny I was getting. Yeah. And dad just said, you need to come home. Things started happening in my body. Like you could, I could feel my body shutting down. Like I was peeing, but peeing like oil and stuff. And it was literally my body being like, where it's dumb, dude. Like, yeah. So <clears throat> that was the moment where I really knew that surfing was over. I actually mm. ended my contract with Billabong and I felt really good about it. I felt kind of like it was a new start. And, you know, if I wanted to get a sponsor at another point in my life, I'm sure it would be, you know, mm-hmm. possible. But I knew I had to just cut everything out and just focus on me in that point. Because it was the first time where I kind of did want to get better because I'd yeah. scared myself seeing my body, like, kind of shut down. Yeah. Um, and went home and kind of tried, but it was just, it was, I was so in it. I didn't really want to get rid of the eating disorder, I don't think. So yeah. just carried on, bumbling along. But um, that was it. That was the moment. It was, like, 80 when I finished with Billabong. I just didn't really want it. And then I got another sponsor maybe a year after with protest and the same like I was with them but I just wasn't in it and even when I lived here I didn't surf that much I was sad but yeah um yeah to be honest the reason the the way I found the love again for surfing was seeing my little brother start because he had never really surfed growing up he was a really good skateboarder really good snowboarder but he never wanted to surf because his big sister did it Mm. and it was just seeing him surf for the pure love because it felt good Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of saw it and I thought, okay, I haven't surfed much for the last couple of years. Maybe this is the moment, you know, I can learn to love it again together. And that's pretty cool because I'd been away a lot. And um, yeah, just I did a couple of little local trips back in my hometown with my brother. And that was it. I just had this kind of like love for it back instantly because mm-hmm. I had no stickers on my board. I had an old wetsuit that was like five years old and it was terrible, but it was just pure. Yeah. It was super pure. It was real, just joy. We were just stoked. The waves sucked most of the time, but um, that's just, that was it. That was the moment that I knew I kind of like had the love for it back, but definitely the cold water swimming, it played a massive part because I remember being, when I was younger being in the water and always like complaining about how cold it was or finding something to not love about it maybe like too windy or the swell wasn't perfect mate I grew up in England like I don't know what I expected <laughs> but then started to travel really young so I saw all these incredible tropical places and I was like this place sucks <laughs> and um it wasn't until I started doing the cold water swimming because I'd heard people like raving about it saying it helped their mental health and I was living in London at the time I actually did my first cold water swim cold water swim in the River Thames, oh, yeah. which is vile, <laughs> like disgusting. For anybody who's ever not been to London, um, the River Thames is the river that like runs all through the centre of London. And bear in mind, okay, I was maybe a bit south of London, but I don't know if that's better or worse. It was rank. I got a rash one day and that was kind of the end of it. <laughs> but it started my love for cold and also reignited my love for just being in the water mm. because I was like, wow, I'm in this like crazy city, which I don't belong in. And I'm still just being pulled to try and get in the water. And I think that was like a really big eye-opening moment for me that I needed this thing. And it was just to be in water. And whether it was looking at a big body of water or it was being inside water, just like I need it to be the best version of me. Um, And the cold water stuff's incredible because I think I'd always really struggled with like, you know, thoughts in my head and... Well, everyone does but just having no control and obviously when it came to the eating disorder you're always just fighting the thought of like I don't need to vomit this food up is basically the thing that you're constantly fighting and cold water swimming gave me the 
strength to know I was definitely stronger than my thought. Mm. And it taught me it in the first 30 seconds that I did it the first time. I was like, wait, this is insane. And I think that really helped me know that any you know, doubt I had about myself, whether last week it was me talking, it, like doing this um, panel talk, I clicked back into the fact that I know I can control my thoughts because I can plummet myself into freezing cold water for God knows how long. I absolutely love it. It's great. Um, <laughs> I just think about it. It's just so good. And that for me is so awesome because it was just a, such a light bulb moment and yet yeah, becomes super addictive because you long for that feeling of just pow- like empowerment, you know, immediately. Yeah. I, just knowing that you're stronger than your mind is such a simple but effective like tool to have so yeah that was it for me that's why I'm obsessed with it because it just like proves to me every day that I'm a beast yeah <laughs> there know. you are yeah so um yeah that yeah it's helped a lot for sure oh for sure that's that's so cool yeah, yeah. and um do you do it every day I don't do it every day but I listened to a podcast yesterday and a guy was saying that you have to do 11 minutes a week Mm. um for it I can't remember what the temperature you said but I usually do like if it's if I'm going for a swim I love swimming in the sea because the ice baths are great but I just for me it's such a whole experience when I walk from my house walk down the beach path arrive to the beach by the time I've like arrived to my spot to swim I'm already kind of in the zone and I'm excited to swim yeah. sometimes if I get to the ice bath I'm a bit like oh god this sucks you still have to fight through thoughts so it has the same yeah. effect but I just enjoy the whole experience a little bit more when I'm getting to yeah. look at beautiful things and swim under waves and that's how I enjoy it and I guess everyone's different but um the ice baths and the cold swims they just have such amazing benefits so anybody who's listening to this get get, <laughs> get on it get just on get it. on it <laughs> yeah like here because it doesn't get that cold so I don't mm-hmm. Like I enjoy, I still go swimming sometimes, but it's often when I go back to Denmark, especially in in Christmas, it's there would be like minus ten degrees, yeah. and I'll, I'll my mom does it almost every day in the lakes and so all the women are like just I don't know why they I mean because they've just been through so much for yeah. sure they're just so strong because they're always the best at it yeah we just swam last week up in Scotland. And blessing my poor little brothers, like not really been on the cold water swimming that like long, and uh, I took him like up into the mountains in the Highlands, and we did one. It was just so cool to see, like the guy in the podcast yesterday. He's actually saying that he doesn't do it for time anymore. So he doesn't cold water swim for time. He does it for walls, mm-hmm. which sounds crazy, but I'll try and explain. I'm if I do him justice, but he explains that when he enters the water he's already crossing at his first wall just by getting in there you've crossed the wall of your thought because mm-hmm. your thought is telling you i can't do this i don't want to do this this is going to suck so by beating those thoughts that's your first wall crossed you're in the water and then you're in the water and you're like oh my god this is freezing okay i can get out i can still get out and then you cross this wall and so on so on then you get out there and you start to feel your body like freezing or getting like numb and you cross that wall so he now does it for how many walls he can kind of um break and yeah. i'm i'm going to try that next time I swim because i actually think that's such a nicer way of doing it because you're rather than competing with the time yeah you're just competing against yourself so, yeah. rather than um yeah and you keep having external. little wins exactly i think yeah yeah that's the that's the next step i'm going to try and work for that mm-hmm. this time so wow. yeah i thought that was a cool way of wow. thinking maybe we should uh, do it here i know a place we're swimming this week 100 yeah. percent. <laughs> i was gonna go this morning if it, if the waves had been not as fun as not they were 20 foot. 
I got slammed this morning, <laughs> honestly. I had like one or two waves, but yeah, it was, we had fun. Yeah. It was always fun to be out there. But yeah, let's swim for sure. Yeah. Um, and just uh, one other question I wanted to ask you is like this, because something I also like to talk about a lot is vulnerability mm-hmm. and think that we create better relationship as well when we open up and we're vulnerable. And so this sharing vulnerability, is that something you've always been good at or with your story, it seems like you weren't when you were younger, yeah. that is something you learned along the way. And when, when did that start to kind of be easier for you? Um, I think it was when I started to accept what I'd been through mm-hmm. and actually gave my credit for coming, gave myself credit for coming out the other side of it. Um, whether it was my eating disorder or being ill with the sepsis or just being a kid at 12 trying to follow their dreams. Um, there was lots of up and downs in that, you know, I was a young girl traveling the world and back then it wasn't a particularly like... I don't know, not it's a safe world these days, but we we could have been looked after a little bit better, let's just say. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I made it through all those things and came out the other side and, and still was, you know, in control of my narrative, that was the moment where I knew that I deserved to have a voice yeah. and that my voice was worth being heard. So, yeah, probably just when I started my recovery, so 23 um I started getting help properly and yeah just having someone validate what I'd been through I think mm. was huge because I'd always thought well you just have to you know be grateful for all the opportunities you've had and you know just bite your tongue mm. with you know certain things that have happened to you or that you've been through and actually that's not true um you, you're you're constantly you know coming to terms with those sorts of things so I think it was the moment where I knew that actually my story can be heard if it needed to be and if I wanted to share it it could be and I think the more strength I've built from you know internally the easier it is to share it because it's like I'm I'm proud of what I've been through I feel really proud of um, overcoming these things and the eating disorder is the hardest thing I've ever had to overcome in my life and probably ever will and there's always a little voice in the back that's telling you to do things that you've always got to kind of just shut up yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's the more vulnerable I came, became with myself, yeah. I found it easier to, you know, like share and, and be more open. But I don't know, it, there's also an element of me that just cares so much less about what other people think now. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a growing up thing. I don't yeah. think you can really teach that. That's just part of going through stuff, realising who you are, knowing your values and just honing in on them if you know what your values are like it's so much easier to become vulnerable because you don't have to hide anything from yeah. them like but I also think for me you know it also took me many years before I, I decided to share my story and for me it was very like because I felt like vulnerability was linked to weakness mm-hmm. it was definitely that was a big part of my journey to actually see that you know what I've been as you say also what I've been through is I have to be proud of how I overcome it and and see that vulnerability as, as a strength, you know, Definitely. which it is. Yeah. Which I wish someone had told me younger because that's so true. Because now even, the, like you said, with the cold water swimming things and how you go through those little walls of, like, strength or whatever mm-hmm. it is, that's all we're trying to do. We're just trying to, like, make ourselves just stronger the whole way mm-hmm. through life. And that's probably why old ladies are the best at cold water swimming because they've just been through so much they just get they're like no i got this you know just in there they've been through 
they went through puberty, first period, having babies, <laughs> menopause. Yeah. Dude, in a man's world, that's why. Yeah, <laughs> everything. They got it. Yeah. yeah. No, for sure. And and one thing I ask, like, everybody who's on the podcast is, what do you do every day to take care of your mental health? I guess you already answered one of them. But mm-hmm. yeah. Every day I journal. I absolutely love journaling. That has been a saving grace for me, especially in my recovery. But I've actually journaled since I was like 12, um, not knowing why I was doing it. But now in, in turn, I just it just lets everything be, I think. I am so good at overcomplicating the most simple things. I think lots of people are. Um, but... It's just for me, I can get it down on a piece of paper and rather than giving it lots of different scenarios, you just see it straight, how it is. If I've got like something that I feel like a little bit uncon- like um, conscious about or if there's something that's worrying me rather than letting it just become an anxiety, I write it down, I see it on the paper and that's it, it's done. Mm. Like We don't need to think about it anymore because we've found a solution. We're not going to worry about this because we've got to this mm-hmm. and that's it move on and uh yeah so journaling for me is has been huge just to also show like a bit of gratitude for what I went through that day and like getting myself through it or if I had like a sick surf I'll write like how it made me feel and yeah I think for a long time I wasn't really in well I wasn't at all in touch with my emotions or feelings so that was something I really Mm. had to relearn um and that was a really easy way for me to do it because I was seeing it you know reading it back to myself and I was like okay that was how I felt in that moment Mm. Um, which was really important for me so yeah definitely journaling journaling great and um and what's your morning routine morning routine okay I've been starting a new morning routine which the boys absolutely hated this morning when I woke up (laughs) at 5am and started like cluttering around in their kitchen but um I don't know I just felt like I used to always wake up in such a rush and by the time it was nine o'clock I was already flying out the door and grabbing all the wrong stuff because that's just kind of how I am um so I started this new thing I read this book it's called the 5am club it's great Mm -hmm. it's really good I'm a terrible reader but I read it cover to cover um and it's all about just yeah your morning routine and how important that first two hours are when you wake up so I set alarm for five um and or sometimes 5 30 we depend how we feel (laughs) let's not kill ourselves I'm still new to this but um 5 30 alarm five and then that's it so I'll literally get out of bed turn my alarm off not even look at my phone um I have like this positive affirmate this is actually I'm saying this out I feel like kind of cringe but it's sick because it works I don't care um I have this like five minute affirmations thing which I listen to and I say it out at the same time as like doing like a morning little stretch flow Mm. so it's like uh for instance affirmations like today I am gonna achieve great things that kind of just and I'm saying these all out in my little bedroom and thinking I god hope I know I'm gonna hear me right now because I sound mental but um I don't know I just feel so much more calm my day goes smoother so yeah I do that and then I make sure for the first hour and a half that I'm up in the morning I don't even look at my phone because no one's trying to contact me at 7 a.m at 6 30 at 5 a.m um so I make sure I wake up stretch do the affirmations I put a bit of like background music on I read my book for 30 minutes then make a little tea coffee and um yeah days on and everything just seems to go a little bit smoother I I'm always more likely 
to do things that are good for me that day if I start my day with things that are good for me. Right. Um, so that yeah. definitely had a really good effect. And sometimes I don't do it and then I beat myself up so I'm trying to get better at just... Yeah, but it's so important it. to have like that morning routine mm-hmm. that works for you, right? And all the athletes I talk to during this podcast, it's funny actually when, they, when I ask them about... Uh, what do you do for your mental health? A lot of them mentioned their morning routine. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like this. As I said before, I listen yeah. to the podcast, and she's always like, "Win the morning, win the day." Sick, and for sure. and for me, that is so true. You yeah, know, I, if yeah, if as you say, if I start the morning checking Instagram in, in bed, boom, you know, my morning is ruined. You know, because it's like I don't need to do that. Like yeah. I can do that at eleven. You know, <laughs> or after work whatever he's like oh and we're like everyone scrolls so much these days I'm terrible for it too you don't even realize that you're doing it but having that two hours in the morning with no phone and just be it's like you're constantly kind of in this like meditative state Mm -hmm. because you're not really you're just just being I feel Mm -hmm. like you're just kind of floating around (laughs) bobbing along uh which is so nice and then boom 9 a.m. comes, the phone starts pinging off, everyone wants yeah. to like, know you and know what, what you know, where stuff is. So, um, yeah, you just have to give yourself that time, I think. It's just mm-hmm. a nice way to start the day. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's really cool. And um, now, in the end, is there anything else you'd like to add, anything you'd like to say that you think uh, that you didn't come across? No, not really. But I guess just something that I'm on right now is just doing things because they feel good. Yeah. don't do it for Instagram or don't do it because somebody wants you to do it do it because it actually feels good and I think that's kind of a simple thing I'm working on but yeah it's life's kind of simple we just confuse it do yeah. it because it feels good no I think that's a very good advice um, <laughs> and I can see that on you I can see that you're like way happier than you've been in a long oh, time dude, I'm stoked <laughs> We're tapped in. And just before we end here, where can people like follow you more and if they want to keep following your journey? Um, yeah, no, for I'm on Instagram, Laura Lou Crane, um, and just started doing this YouTube series which is all about kind of surf, cold immersions, and just adventure in the outdoors, which are all three things that I absolutely love. Um, and if you want to actually get involved in them. I just started this retreat business last year called CZO and it's like C and physio combined and we just take groups of people that want to feel more comfortable in the water or just in learn a little bit more about being in the outdoors and themselves. Um, so yeah, that's CZO. You can find it all on my Instagram. But, but um, I'll also link to everything yeah, in the nice. description. Yeah. And there are little retreats which we're going to try and this summer do. Um, we're going to try and do three Last year we did two, so we're just slowly blowing up. It's a full passion project for me. I absolutely love just sharing the things that I've learned in in my journey with other people. So, yeah, see you out there. So cool. (laughs) Well, amazing. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been so, so much uh, fun to... And really thank you for your vulnerability and for sharing your story. I am sure it will inspire a lot of people. Aw, you Yeah. All right. (laughs) Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye.